0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. It is good to see so many of you this morning here. Some old faces that I haven't seen in some time and it's wonderful to connect and some people I've not met. And I hope that we can become old friends and uh, get to know you well. I am just blessed on this Labor Day that we get to be together to worship on the Lord's Day. If you have your Bible... We're going to be in Romans. So we finished our 23rd Psalm series. We're headed into the book of Romans again. We had picked up that for some time. We hit pause. Now we're picking it back up in chapter 4, just working our way through this wonderfully theologically rich book. If you're using one of those pew Bibles, uh, seat underneath you or in front of you, it's going to be on page 999, and we're looking today at Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I'd like to start with the reading of God's word. It says, What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. Let's pray. God, as we turn now to your word and as we listen from what you've said to us, as we seek to understand it, as we hear these profound words like boasting or these questions, what does this scripture say, Lord? Let these things sink in deeply into our minds and trickle into our hearts and radically motivate our actions and our beliefs and our affections. God, I ask that you would speak to us well from your word, that we would be prepared well to hear from your word. And Lord, we wouldn't just be those who look at ourselves in the mirror and walk away and forget what we look like, but Lord, instead that we are those who know, because as James talks about, we are doers of the word, because it has moved and motivated us. So God, help me preach your word well, and help us all to hear it well. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some profound things in this text we just read. Probably one of the best questions in all of the Bible for what does Scripture say. What a great way to understand how to explore life. But also, there's this really fascinating word in here that most of us don't like. The word is boast. Boast. We see it here and there in the bible we love to boast don't we i mean we love to boast another word for that is brag You're like, we don't we don't love to brag yeah we do yeah we do boasting is a way of making much of ourselves entire social media systems are built on us boasting we've gotten so good at it that we don't even know when we're doing it anymore It just comes out. We don't even catch it. Now, it's easy to see if you see it in a different way. It's straightforward if you look at the opposite of what we're saying and how we're saying it when it actually comes out. Let me give you uh, just a few things I've heard fairly recently, in fact, and see if you can hear the boast in it opposed to what's actually being said. We hear it in what's being said, and we hear how it's being said. How about this one? Oh, I only eat free-range meat and all organic products because I care about my body. Or how about this one? Wow, why do you have an Android phone? Everybody hear that one? Or maybe the opposite? Well, I wouldn't be caught dead going to that school. Think about what you're saying and what you're implying about the people who do hold to those things. How about this? Oh, of course, I'd never have a car payment. Or this is my favorite. Favorite. And I've heard this one quite a bit recently. And and Before I say it, I just want you to be cautious that if you're saying it, think about what you're saying on the other side of it and who you're saying it about. You ready? Well, I wasn't stupid enough to vote for that guy. (laughs) What are you saying? What are you boasting about here? We love to boast about ourselves. We love to boast about our choices. It makes much of us, isn't it? It, it, it? What we're doing is... We're saying something about others for the purpose of saying something about ourselves. Maybe you remember the guy in the temple. God, I thank you I'm not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous adulterers, or even like this tax collector. It's Luke 18, 11, if you want to read it. You know how that went. We love to boast. But where do you think you'd be if Jesus hadn't come along? and dragged you up out of that ditch that you fall into so frequently because of sinful behavior, you end up in those sinful places, where would you be? Where would your boasting be if not for what Jesus has already done for you? We are really pretty self-absorbed, aren't we? We're broken people. I mean, we are so broken that we even try to take credit And boast about our own salvation, which is what Paul's talking about here. We, if we could, try to get away with it, would brag to God about how well we did in saving ourselves. That's what we would do. And that's exactly the point Paul is trying to make here. In essence, he's saying, Jesus did the work that justifies or saves Christians. So we actually have no place to boast. And most of us know that intellectually. Most of us say, yeah, you bet. I get it. Right? But we're going to go over it again just to make sure we know what we think we know. And then I want to show you what it should look like if we actually really believed what we think we know. And then because we can't just fake it. it's just not something you just fake. I want to just at least offer some suggestions of what it might look like for Christians if we actually lived out what we truly say we believe. Let's start with what Paul's actually saying about our salvation and what's happening from this text. Okay, Just before, and it's helpful to remember, we we took a pause, we went into the Psalms, but just before this, Paul was arguing about justification, that is our right standing before God, that we could be freed, not condemned, our salvation. He was arguing about our salvation and saying, our salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. That's how it happens, that's what's there. Look up at... um, Verse 22. Romans 3, 22. And we're just going to camp out in this. So if you just want to keep your Bible open on your lap to Romans 3 and 4, that would probably be pretty helpful. Uh, Romans three twenty-two says, The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption That is in Christ Jesus. Okay, so in other words, he's made that argument. Now he's still moving along here. In other words, in that argument, he said, look, um, we are supposed to be killed for the sin that we've committed, the sin nature that we have. But instead, Jesus was sacrificed in our place. He made the payment of that punishment in our place. He was our substitute which is what we should be learning from and seeing in the Old Testament with the bulls and the lambs being killed in the temple for sacrifices for sin. They were a substitute. The only difference is Jesus' death on the cross was perfect. It was complete. It was finished in totality. It was complete in its power and its ability. It accomplished everything that God had intended it to accomplish. The same is true of the bulls and goats, but they couldn't go the whole full distance. Jesus, on the other hand, with the full distance. That's what Paul has been arguing as we're leading up to these verses. Then, if we remember, Jesus traded our sinfulness for his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. We see that in 2 Corinthians 5.22, where he says, He, God, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We were the sinner, Jesus is the Savior, the only thing we brought to the whole process was the sin that made it all necessary, Jesus brings everything as the complete and total sacrifice, and then Paul asks us this big question, this is Romans 3.27, where then is the boasting? Now, translation that's a little tricky, I kind of like how the ESV and the NLT say it, just because it helps bring some clarity, I'm not sure if it's the best translation, but hear that from these two verses, or these two translations. What then becomes of our boasting? That's the ESV. What becomes of our boasting if this fact about Jesus and our sinfulness is true? Or hear it from the the New Living Translation. Can we boast then that, that we've done anything to be accepted by God? That's a fair question. Can we boast? Can we post this on our social media status? Hey, check me out. Here's a selfie of my face and a statement about how I contributed to my salvation. Can we do that? Paul continues, he says, it is excluded. Not just no, but that's what he's saying. It is excluded. No way. But it's not just a no. It's that it's not even an option. It's not even a possibility. We didn't contribute a single little part of this or we would have something to boast about. We didn't do anything. Jesus did it all. It's not that that if we just try really hard, Jesus will come and see our intentions. It's not that that if we do everything here, Jesus will do the rest. We didn't do anything none zero it's not even an option that we have anything to boast about and then paul continues and he's speaking for those who would be asking the questions and he says wait a minute by what he, this is what he says and then i'll paraphrase by what kind of law by one of works he says, but wait a minute what 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 where are you getting this what is this how what system what principle is it by one of works and he goes on his answer no on the contrary by a law of faith for we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. That's Romans 3, 27 through 28. Works of law over here, justification by faith over here, apart from, not connected to. It's not that obeying the law of God or doing certain things, specific things in a specific way will bring about your salvation. Otherwise, you could boast about what you did but you didn't contribute anything to it. You have nothing to boast about. So now Paul appeals to an example, and that's what we're reading now. The example, that's the foundation of the argument, and now we come to this example, and he goes to none other than Father Abraham, this super faithful guy, this, this patriarch, this father of the faith. And he quotes Genesis 15, 6. God makes his promise to Abraham. And for the record, at this point, when the promise is made, Abraham is a very old bag of bones, well beyond childbearing years. And his wife, her condition is probably much worse. God takes this old bag of bones, who's sad because he's not going to have a child to inherit his stuff, and he takes him outside, and he says, Abraham, I know you think this is impossible. And... Most people probably would look at your situation being, you know, 90 years old. Your wife's situation, look up at the stars. You see all those stars? Now, this isn't like we live in the light pollution of Salt Lake City, look at the stars when you see two. (laughs) Right? This is like no light. If you've ever been out on the ocean, if you've ever been in one of these places, and you look up and the entire sky is just absolutely filled There's that weird band of a hazy light coming through, right? And if it's a movie, there's a shooting star every time. It's that. Abraham looks up and God says to him, your descendants will be more numerous than the stars you see here. Seems impossible, right? But it's a promise of God. God made him that promise. And in the quote that we hear in the example, it says, Abram believed God and he credited it to him as righteousness. That's the illustration. You're just like, wait, hold on a second, Paul. Wait. That's your example that we don't work for our salvation? What is that? That's the example? Paul's like, yeah, that's That's the example. It goes like this. God spoke. Abraham listened. God said God would do something. Abraham believed God. Did you hear that format? God spoke. Abraham listened. God made a promise. Abraham believed. Paul is saying our salvation is just like that. God speaks. We listen. God's made a promise. We believe. Paul goes on to say that if Abraham had done anything, something at all, to contribute to this whole arrangement, then it would have been owed to him instead of credited or a better word is maybe like a gift to Abraham and so to be sure Paul knows that we know the point he says it again with clarity the following verse he says but the one who does not work but believes on him who declares the ungodly the sinner to be righteous his faith is credited for righteousness it's Romans 4 5. Paul, just a little bit later, if you look down, and in my printing, and I appreciate this, the Old Testament quotes are bolded, so I can see that you might have that. If you look down a little bit to Romans 4, 9, Paul restates the quote, but he says it in just a slightly different way, and he's not wrong, one, because he's inspired by God. But number two, because the word does have a range of meaning, and he restates the quote again. This time he says, faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. Faith! Faith! Abraham's belief in the previous verse is stated as faith in this verse, and it shows there's something connected and synonymous between those two. So following that line of thinking, Paul says in Romans 5.1, if we were just to continue this through, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, so God has declared us the unrighteous sinner, the one who doesn't deserve and can't earn, he's declared us now righteous, now justified, now saved. How? Why? When? What did we do to earn this? Why why would God do this? Romans 5, 6. It says, while we are still helpless, helpless, incapable, can't do it. We we can't do anything for ourselves. We're helpless. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's why we can't start boasting, That we did something to earn our salvation. The Bible makes it abundantly clear. All the credit goes to God. Not most of the credit. Not 96% of the credit. All of the credit goes to God. And if all the credit goes to God, that means none of the credit goes to us. None of it it comes our way. There is nothing to boast about. It would be silly and wrong. we didn't do it. Paul says it another way in Ephesians and he's crystal clear here in Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 9 you probably know it some of you have it memorized it says for you are saved by grace through faith now key into this and this is not from yourselves it is God's gift not from works so that no one can boast there's no boasting here there's no boasting in our salvation but we still do it don't we we do it. Let's be really honest. We, we try to find ways to somehow think that our salvation comes from ourselves, or that we did something that we can kind of pat ourselves on the back. Like, hey, look, I, I did something. And, and I, I can show you how. Remember how I showed you we see it from the negative? It's the same here. Because we actually occasionally have doubts like we're going to lose our salvation because we think thought maybe we earned our salvation. If I do something right, I earned it. And if I do something wrong, I lose it. So I better not do something wrong. We have those doubts, don't we? And the Bible says that's not the case. We didn't do anything to contribute to the salvation. We're not going to lose the salvation. Or sometimes we we look at others and we see others and go, well, I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector, that adulterer, that person. That's because you think you did something to earn your salvation. We say these things because what we say we believe does not match what we actually believe. We say one thing, but we actually believe something else. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Well, because we're hypocrites. Let's just call it what it is. We're all a bunch of hypocrites. We say one thing, we do and we believe something entirely different. A hypocrite is a person who says he believes one thing, or she believes one thing, or that people should do something, or the world should look this way or that way, but then they don't do the very thing they say they believe. They don't actually follow through in that. What it shows is that they don't actually believe the thing they say they believe. Is it easy to believe that we're hypocrites? Are you enjoying, like, oh yeah, of course, I think this every day. I walk around all day long Well, go, man, I'm a real hypocrite. I'm a great big faker. Most of us don't think like that. Some of you do, and you need to stop it. But most of us don't just think we're hypocrites, right? We, we, we don't see the very deep, underlying, deep rooted beliefs that inform our actions. Let me ask you this. Do you think the Pharisees thought that they were hypocrites when Jesus was blasting away at them? That they were unbelievers and, and all the various things he said about them? Do you think they were like, yeah, he's t- this guy's spot on. We've been hiding it this whole time. No. In their head, they believed. But Jesus was constantly pointing out that their actions did not affirm and demonstrate what they truly believed. Instead, something else was motivating them and moving them. Some other belief they hadn't necessarily stated or professed. He says, look, you guys have have a problem. This is what James calls dead faith. That's a weird statement you put together, dead faith. Okay, that's an intellectual belief that something is true. But the belief is not strong enough to overcome whatever other belief is actually motivating your actions. There's an underlying belief there that's actually leading you to do certain things that your stated belief cannot overcome. James, when he said, faith without works is dead. He wasn't saying that faith plus some works is what brings salvation. He wasn't saying that. He was saying that that if your belief or your faith doesn't motivate some kind of action or some kind of behavior or some kind of lifestyle because of that belief, then there's a good chance you don't actually believe what you say you believe. You believe something else. Imagine if I were to tell you that I believe, it is extremely important for people at my age to eat in healthy ways, uh, to exercise daily, and that a guy like me should weigh less than 200 pounds. And then you observe my life, and you you notice me eating donuts, plural. You never see me go to the gym. When you ask me about it, I'm like, I don't have a gym membership. I don't exercise. Are you kidding? And then, of course, I weigh what I weigh. What does that actually say about what I believe? What does that communicate about my deep underlying beliefs? I might say one thing, but clearly I'm demonstrating I believe something else. If our belief is real, then action is going to match. It's just that simple. When people believe God, then their heart and their mind start changing. That's what God says happens when we believe then we want to start to want to do the things that his words say the people who love Jesus want to do. It's not that doing the things got us saved. It's that we've been changed and we want to do those things. Something's happened here. We want to hear and we want to obey. We don't do that to get saved. We wouldn't. We can't. It's impossible. Paul said there's nothing to boast about because there's nothing we can do. Our actions only serve to demonstrate that we actually believe what we say we believe. God knew Abraham believed in Genesis 15. He said it. Abraham believed. Therefore, is credited to him as righteousness. God knows. God knows the heart. It's interesting, though, because James uses the same Abraham example. He even quotes the same verse. He's doing that to make the same point that Paul is making. But right before that... James asked this really helpful question. James asked, wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? That question is James 2.21. That's the question that comes right before the same quote that Paul used about Abraham believing. So it can't be, just using James' argument, following his logic, it really can't be that Abraham earned his justification when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. Because that didn't happen until years later. A child had to be born. He had to grow up a little bit. Time had to pass. right? We can read about that in Genesis 22. But the Bible already said Abraham was made righteous in Genesis 15. So if he's already made righteous in Genesis 15, it can't be that in Genesis 22 he earned his righteousness by taking Isaac up on the mountain. It can't be that. So what's happening here? James is making this argument to show us. James used the events in Genesis 22 to show us that the action of saving belief that started in James or excuse me, that started in Genesis 15, proves to us not God, God knew. It proves to us that Abraham actually believed God. It's an outward proof of what's already happened. It's showing that undercurrent of Abraham's belief is indeed what he says he believed, that he would take his own son up on a mountain to sacrifice him because God said do it. By the way, spoiler alert, if you haven't read your Bible, Isaac didn't get sacrificed. God provided a ram and it was really exciting. You should check that out. It's in Genesis 22. So the belief is demonstrated by those outward actions, and when the outward actions don't match the belief, then there's a problem. This actually goes both ways. We can see this go both ways. Jesus, uh, he rebukes the Pharisees a lot, and in one particular case, John 5, 86 and 87, Jesus says, if you believed Moses, now that if is critically important here. It's setting up a condition, so it's a conditional statement. If you believed Moses, and of course all the Pharisees said they did, They made that claim all the time. If you believed Moses, you would have believed me, because he wrote about me. But if you didn't believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? Did they believe Jesus' words? No. Because what they said didn't match their internal actions. This goes both ways. They didn't actually believe. That's Jesus' point. They didn't believe what they said. They believed the proof is in the pudding. My kid read that as we were coming here. He was going over the sermon with me just as we were driving. And I could tell he was like, what does that mean? <laughs> the Bible says it another way. You know them by their fruit. That's how you know. That's how you know what they believe. Now, here's the key question to this that I know some of you were thinking. But isn't believing something I did? I believed. I I did something. That's a verb. It's an action, right? I I believed. I heard the gospel. I believed. Good for me. Other people heard the gospel. They didn't. So that's something I should be proud of, right? That's something maybe I could post on my social media about myself and boast, right? I did something. Well, you should be happy that you believe. Believe me, you should be happy that you believe. You should be blessed that you believe, but you can't boast about it. You can't take credit for it because it's not anything you did. You're merely and purely the recipient. Romans 4.2 says, If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now, that's not saying he can boast before men, but he can't boast before God. That's a joking, kind of snarky way to say, You're not going to stand before God and say, Hey, God, look what I did to me. Remember how I was a sinner? Check me out. That's a joke. You have nothing to boast about before God. He knows everything. He knows. It's nonsense. It's, it's silly. Abraham didn't contribute. You didn't contribute to your own salvation. Romans 3, 10 through 12. You might remember when we went through this. It's quoting Psalm 14, 1 through 3. And there Paul says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Seeking God is choosing God. There's no one who does it. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There's no one who does what is good, not even one. But wouldn't choosing God be good? It is good. No one does it, apparently, Therefore, God must do something to initiate this change. An object in rest tends to stay in rest. An object in rejection tends to stay in rejection unless acted upon by an outside force. So, all of us who are sinners were acted upon by an outside force. God opened our eyes, God gave us understanding that we didn't have. God changed something, God did something. Therefore, we could, after seeing it in a new way or experiencing it in a new way, believe. Acts six fourteen is a really interesting illustration with a woman with an outstanding name. My daughter's not even in here, so I just wasted that joke. Acts sixteen fourteen says a God fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira was listening. She was listening to the preached word of Paul. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. Who did it? The Lord. It wasn't even that Paul's argument was so persuasive and amazing. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. doesn't matter. The Lord opened her heart to respond. Ephesians 2.1 says, You were dead in your trespasses and sin. And then if you jump to verse 4, which a lot of us like to do, it says, But God... Who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive in Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace. Man, we love that. I love that. <clears throat> it's wonderful. But between verse 1 and verse 4, it says, You were dead. Okay, that's how verse 1 started. You were dead in your trespasses. And then verse 4 says, God. Did something Now, so those who say, well, God did something because I chose him, I believed in him, I made a profession, and then God did something. That's a legitimate argument that people make on a regular basis. I'm just going to go with what Scripture is showing us here. I believed, therefore God saved me. This is what those individuals had to overcome when they were dead in their trespasses. This is what we see between verses 1 to verse 4. My jacket's killing us, isn't it? See, I shouldn't wear a jacket, people. I just shouldn't wear a jacket. Or we should find a different way to mic me. All right. This is what's happening between verses one and verse four. Ready? This is what the dead person lived like. It says, You lived according to the ways of this world. That's not good. You lived according to the ruler of the power of the air. You know that is that's the devil. You lived in your fleshly desires and fleshly thoughts. Temptation ruled you. It says you were by nature a child of wrath. That's what exists between verse 1 and verse 4 to explain that you were dead in your trespasses. That's what it looked like. So if someone were to go, you know, this is who I was, but apart from God providing any kind of miracle in me, I overcame the ways of this world. In my thinking and my behavior, I overcame the ruler of the power of the air, the devil, in my thinking and my behavior. I overcame all my temptations and all my trials and my fleshly desires, and I changed my very nature of my whole family and how I was born and everything about me as a child of wrath. I overcame all of those things in my thinking so that I could believe in God, and I did it without God having anything to do with it. And then when I did that, he gave me salvation. That's what you're saying. That's what you're saying. Does anybody believe you can overcome any of those things without the power of God? I just don't buy it. Which is why I really wholeheartedly hang on to verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy. Why? He gave me all the ways to overpower those things made us alive, so we were dead, now we're alive in Christ. Though we were dead in their trespasses, we are saved by grace. Yeah, we didn't deserve any of that, because you couldn't overcome that. If you could overcome any of that, you got a lot of reasons to boast, don't you? You could be very boastful, man, I overcame the world. I overcame the devil. God granted you salvation by his power, not yours, so that you have nothing to boast about. You have nothing to boast about. You couldn't have done any of this without God. I just don't believe it. And the Bible makes it pretty clear too. Jesus does every bit of the work that brings about your salvation. Every bit of it. Otherwise, you'd have something to boast about. If you call yourself a Christian, you have nothing to boast about in your salvation. So what is... Our life look like or what should our life look like when we really believe this truth and it really informs our behavior and it really moves our actions if we don't believe that truth the undercurrent of our actions has a lot to do with boasting but if we do believe that truth it's going to change the way we live I want to offer us some thoughts it's not it's not everything I think this should change a lot about our lives but I'm going to touch on some key ones here if we really believe that we contributed nothing to our salvation, and Jesus did all of it, and it was a miracle that he would do such a thing, and it's by grace that he would do it, and it is by faith that we are saved, I think we'd be a lot more grateful to God for saving us. I mean, I, I think we wouldn't be able to get through a single day without just being amazed that he would save a, a wretch like me, that he would move me, he would move you. We, we, God, I can't believe you did this. I just can't believe it every day. I think this would inform and motivate our worship in really rich, remarkable ways. When we sing about Jesus dying for our sins, defeating death, saving the blind, making it so that we can see. When we sing those words, they should have real real significant power in our hearts, and it should just cause us to weep with joy. A lot of people turn to Isaiah and, you know, God's going to collect all of our tears in a bottle. We always go to the negative, don't we? Oh, he's going to collect all those painful tears. I don't think so. I think he's going to collect all those tears of joy, and they in themselves are going to be an act of worship. Look at this bottle of joyful tears that worship what the Lord has done. There'll probably be some of those other tears too, but I think there'll be a lot more tears of joy when we see the magnitude of this. And it's an act of worship. And because we're more grateful for this, I I think we would be more inclined to let the word inform our behaviors and our obedience. We'd let it shape our worldview. We'd submit to it. We'd surrender to it because it's God. He's the one who did everything. Okay, I'm gonna do it your way, not my way. My way contributed nothing. Your way contributed everything. I think I'll listen to what you have to say. Here's another thing that I think would happen if we were really more aware of this belief and, and rested on it and anchored to the fact that we didn't contribute anything to this, but God did all the work. I think we'd be a lot more humble. This coming from a guy who is not very humble, I realize. This is coming from a guy who sometimes has these bouts of pride, right? We, I think we struggle with this thing, but our, I think our humility would be more, and I think our pride would die. I think we would be more humble. And I don't think it'd just be in our salvation. I think it would be in everything. I think we would just stop holding on to how great we think we are in the reality that we're really not that great in light of how great God is. I think this would help us to, to kind of kindle a better relationship and and have better relationships with our fellow Christians? Because a lot of that pride would be gone. We wouldn't be so proud. We wouldn't be looking at them in different ways, judging them. Sometimes we judge them over which phone they have or how they eat, what car they drive. Don't we? Ridiculous. I think if we were a lot more humble, because we were a lot more grateful in what God would do, we'd have a much better relationship with our fellow Christians. All of them we'd realize that, man, if not for God doing this in me, I would be way worse than anything I could possibly see in anybody else. And if not for God doing this in me and the other person, we'd probably have no relationship together whatsoever, and yet we walk together because we have our unity in Christ. I think that brings so much peace among God's people, and I actually think it extends well beyond God's people. And this last one, like I said, we could go on and on, but this last one, I think we would show a lot more love and a lot more understanding to the lost, to the people who are not Christians, to the people who are not redeemed. Instead of looking out there and going, oh, can you believe what they're doing? Oh, I don't do, oh, those people. Look at those people. Oh, they're all coming after us. Oh, they're doing this. They're doing that. Can you believe they would do this or do that? Fill in the blank. I think we look at them very differently We wouldn't look at them with anger or shock. I think we'd look at them with broken hearts because that's what God has for the lost. And we start to realize we would be just where they were and worse. And worse. If not for the redemptive power of Jesus Christ that we contributed nothing to. I think it would change a lot. You know why a lot of them don't want to come here and worship with us in the mornings? Because we don't like that they put pronouns on their name badge. We don't like that they think that this is what marriage should look like. We don't like that this is how they vote. We don't like that this is how they live their lives. And we make it abundantly clear to them. And we would do the exact same things, and some of you secretly do, even with the redemptive power of Jesus working in your lives. Maybe we need to see this from a whole new perspective, don't we? If not for Jesus, we'd be far worse than the worst person you can imagine. So we should weep. We should weep. It should break our hearts. We should ask God, break our hearts, God, for what breaks your heart. And God has a plan for that. He told Abraham, I'm making you a people. You'll be a nation of priests to the world. Priests intercede between the brokenness of the world and the glory of God so that they too would know God. And even all those people struggled with all that, didn't they? We just struggle with this. Man, I just hope we could do just a little better. I think if we really started to understand this, and we really started to understand the lost world, and we really started to be broken for them, I think we'd stop seeing them as enemies. If you can see your enemy, it is not your enemy. They're not your enemy. They're captives to the enemy. They're captives that need to be set free by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think we would be much more quick and much more naturally ready to pray for the lost. We had a friend, my wife and I have a friend, and for a long time, and we haven't hung out in a while, we've lived pretty far apart now, but man, any time we met anybody, anybody, question be like hey do you call yourself a christian do you know jesus and they'd say well no no, thanks server or whatever anybody they'd walk away and she would stop the conversation immediately with what we were having and say, we got to pray for that person right now we got to just pray for them right now all the time that was her natural bent we're just going to pray that god would do something we need to be like that quickly naturally often We need to be praying for the lost a lot more. And I think we would have a heart for sharing the gospel if we really understood what Jesus did for us. We said, man, I'm so glad somebody shared the gospel. Jesus used the power of that gospel to do something in my life. And he's told me to go out and share with others. I think we would do it. It's my undershirt, man. It's tucked in weird, and I can't change it in front of all of you, so just gonna be real careful here (laughs) if we truly understood the power and magnitude of what god has done in our lives we would want to see it in everybody's lives around us and we would go and we would share the gospel if we really believed that he is who he says he is and he does what he says he does we would do it i want to encourage you to think about this truth i really do I want you to meditate it and I want you to ponder it in your life. I want you to pray about it and just highly consider it. I just want to leave you with the thought, the anchor thought for this whole morning. Jesus did the work that justifies Christians. So we have no place to boast. Let's stop boasting. Let's pray. God, you are the founder and everything to our salvation. And we believe, Lord, and even the belief you made possible. We were wretched sinners, unworthy. You did a mighty work. God, please drive this belief deeply into us that it would inform our actions and motivate us. Lord, that it would, that it would be everything. Whatever else is trumping those beliefs would be uh, cast aside. Lord, we want to really hold on to this. And Lord, forgive us of our boasting. Forgive us of our lack of humility. And Lord, may we worship you powerfully because we know that you have done all the work, and then indeed we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ and by nothing else. It's in Jesus' name. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit RedeemingLifeUtah.org.